trees are flourishing in every neighborhood in the city. Just mention that you study coyotes to anybody who lives in Los Angeles. At a party, at the park, or in line at the grocery store. And I assure you, they'll share a story about a coyote encounter. Almost completely unprompted. Crucially, every story about a coyote is also an interpretation of coyote behavior from the human perspective. And so these stories are also quite personal. What might look like coyote intimidation to one person might be coyote indifference to another. What might look like a sign of aggression could even be interpreted as a mystical sign. So what's going on? What do coyotes mean by the things they do? Or better yet, what does it mean for a person to see a coyote in the city? Welcome to The Labyrinth, a series of stories that intersect like passages in a maze. Can you find your way out? How to See Coyotes Everybody in Los Angeles has a coyote story, but nobody can quite agree on what seeing a coyote in the city means. What do coyotes mean by the things they do? In this episode, Chase Niesner explores how what we see in coyotes is a matter of what they see in us. These questions of what coyotes mean to people don't even begin to consider what coyotes might see in us. Are we a sign of an easy meal? Or do we stand for an apex predator who might hunt coyotes to kill? Are we just another animal to the coyotes? Like a skunk or an opossum, a crow or an owl? Or are we something distinctly special? Like the weather or small gods? Again, they're really interesting creatures. They're very, uh, very kind of sweet-looking and non-threatening. I think I'm just afraid of 
but I don't know about them. I'm afraid uh, of the stories of them attacking people behind, obviously. But if coyotes understand we humans are something different, then they must also recognize other coyotes, whether by kin or by kind, as something similar. Would it be fair to ask, then, how a coyote sees itself? Because squirrels have, have known, and same thing with, with coyotes, yeah. coyotes have known that what people might perceive as aggressive behavior, yeah. it's, it's a question of, oh, well, they drop something and I get food. This is Jim Hartman. Deputy Commissioner at the L.A. County Department of Agriculture. So it's not necessarily that they are stalking yeah. you per yeah. se, right. but they know they've we've, they've learned that yeah. when acting in that manner, they may get a free meal. Yeah, you know. Wildlife specialists working for Jim at the L.A. County Department of Agriculture oftentimes have the difficult job of determining whether a coyote is a problem individual or just an average coyote doing what coyotes do. And this is a consequential distinction. Because once a coyote is designated a problem, it must be trapped and killed on site. Relocating wild animals to other locations is illegal in California because then the problem just becomes somebody else's and moving the animal could spread disease. But when does a coyote cross the line from a virtuous member of its species to something more criminal? What is the criteria for determining which coyotes get to live? and which coyotes have to die. When it eats the family pet? Well, was this pet on a short leash when it was attacked, or did the attack occur close to the front door in broad daylight? Perhaps most importantly, are there also small children living in the house? Does this particular coyote prove a further threat to human safety? You know, the other thing that we, we get across every now and then, when we, particularly with coyotes, is so they've taken a person's pet, which is unfortunate. But then again, like I say, if you have a free-ranging cat, you know, I mean, what, what do you expect the coyote to do? Like, oh, I'm sorry, that's yeah. your pet. Um, so, of course, people being people, they want to retrieve their animal. The coyote doesn't give that up. So, so the phone call comes, well, we had an aggressive coyote. Well, no, he's not. A, he's, he's defending a kill. He's not going to give that up. You know, <laughs> try getting a zebra from a lion. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because, I mean, again, he, he, that, this is his as far or hers yeah. as far as they're concerned. Yeah. So it's, it's again, it's, it's trying to teach people yeah. and trying to get their perceptions. Um, I just was at a civil, uh, uh, city council meeting. So it's pretty rustic. Mm-hmm. Like you get deer out the window on the hill. We had a bobcat come through the yard. We had a hawk in the house because we have huge glass walls that slide open. And so then I became very close with Handsome. And we would feed him and slowly we would open the big sliders in the living room. And slowly but surely, he would come right up to us, and he, we wouldn't hand feed him, mm-hmm. but he'd come within six inches, mm. and he would come every day, if not twice a day. And then he had the babies, 
and then his girlfriend or the mom or whatever would come as well and they would literally lay on the patio furniture during the day and I don't think you know you hear if you see these animals during the day they have rabies I don't think it was that I think they felt really safe here Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily they're getting smarter it's just they're very observant animals this is a spokesperson for coyotes out of downey a municipal organization that seeks to mitigate human-coyote conflict through community outreach and education. When they see humans and all they're doing is taking a photo or videotaping it, all you've taught to that coyote is, oh, that person isn't scary at all. They just took a photo. Yeah. I'll say another thing, too, is in the urban areas, there's a lot of people who feed wildlife, so specifically feral cats. But people don't realize that not only are you attracting the raccoon or skunks, you're also now attracting the coyotes. Right. And so what the coyote's doing is associating that human with that food. I think little by little, their inherent fear of us is changing because they're not constantly getting hazed or scared. And so they're like, it's not so bad here, and there's food out here, so... Why not? Again, they're very smart animals, so they're just, they're just recognizing what they're doing. Lara, over to me. Come. Over to me. I know. Good girl. You're fine. I know. You are. Good girl. Yeah. It might be a good idea to have a stick. Yeah, we need to find a stick. Yeah. Go on. (laughs) Are you playing? You stay with me, pups. Stay with me. Go! Go away. Go away. When people feed coyotes, whether intentionally or accidentally, coyotes can come to associate humans with food. And this sometimes encourages dangerously bold coyote behavior. And in order to reinstill the fear of humans in the resident urban coyote population, or to keep these coyotes wild, as they say, municipalities are drafting what are called coyote management plans, which among other recommendations, encourages residents to stop feeding coyotes and to haze coyotes instead. Yeah, you're beautiful. Come on. Go away. Go away. Go away. Go away. (laughs) It's okay, puppy. He's just trying to drive us up. Go. Go on. Go on. Go. Go away. Go on. Go. Go. We're leaving. Go away! Coyotes hate bells. The old standard penny can. You can recycle your cans, fill them with pennies or bolts or stones or anything that makes noise. Give it a shake. Coyote's not expecting that either. This is Dana Stangle a wildlife coexistence expert and the founder of Taranga Ranch. So, 
One thing that's really important with humane hazing is that you have buy-in, right? Like you can't just be like, get away coyote, get away coyote. You have to be serious. You have to be the boss in this situation, right? And the person who can be the boss in this situation doesn't even need a humane hazing device, right? If I see a coyote and he's looking at me funny, I wanna be like, yeah, that's all I need to do. I just need my body. But if I, maybe I'm a more timid person and I don't think that I have that in me, having my little helper is helpful, right? So then I can use my body language and I can use the humane hazing device at the same time. Okay, so my first encounter was um, was in Elyria Canyon, which is by my house, my old house in Mount Washington. Um, and there's like never anyone in this canyon, so I would always let Marge, my dog, off leash. And one day, we were walking off leash, I was throwing the stick for her, kind of like we always do. And I looked down into the canyon and saw this little, kind of pretty small coyote just standing there. and. Marge just bolts after it, um, which of course scared the shit out of me. And I went running after her, and I think I was maybe in flip flops or something. I remember just getting really hungry, tangled in the and brambles, really bold, and screaming, screaming just screaming her name over like, and over again. Stare at me um, in my car, and she was um, gone. For like but yeah, I saw it around for maybe like two or three months, and and. It had a really wild energy. It was really um, more sentient than kind of other coyotes or wild animals I've encountered. It felt very much like it was watching me, thinking. And yeah, that was the other, the other time I spent time with coyotes. Surprisingly, even though hazing is trumpeted in every coyote management plan across Southern California as the salve of human-coyote conflict, there is scant scientific evidence proving hazing an effective strategy for keeping coyotes wild. At least not yet. Dr. Neve Quinn of the University of California is currently undertaking one such study in the complex urban ecology of L.A. County, where she and her team have trapped and radio-collared coyotes. The idea here is to haze some of these coyotes and to let the others be, and then to compare their movement patterns as recorded by the GPS callers. Will the haze coyotes behave any differently than the coyotes who've been left alone? The idea behind this project uh, came about because here in California we have a lot of coyote conflict. We tried to think about ways that we could actually test and see if coyote hazing works. And the only way to really do that is to get GPS collars on coyotes. This collar that we chose for the project is actually a really cool piece of equipment. It has a solar panel here that will help us recharge the battery. And it also communicates to the different networks in different ways. 
The other thing that this collar has, which is an important part of this project, is it has an accelerometer. And an accelerometer actually kind of tells us kind of how fast the animal is actually going. And that's going to be important for trying to figure out if hazing works or not, because it will be important to know if the animal, when it disappears outside, did it just kind of just go a little bit and then stop? Or was it really afraid and it kept running and running and it was out of here to a different place at a very, you know, kind of top speed. So that's the collar in a nutshell. It's a pretty nice piece of equipment um, and we're hoping it's going to work very, very well for us. According to the strictures of the scientific method, whether hazing works to keep coyotes wild remains to be seen. But maybe this isn't quite the only frame on the hazing question. Maybe hazing isn't something we do to coyotes to keep them wild, but a relational form into which humans and coyotes sometimes fall, or a lens through which we look at each other from a distance. If the purpose of hazing is to reinstill a fear of humans and coyotes, then can we just as well say hazing is about reinstilling courage in humans who are living amongst wild dogs? In this framing, hazing is the performance of a perspective within a power dynamic, and one which might just affect everybody involved, and not just coyotes. Maybe it's a process by which we come to forge the qualities of these species. A coyote is a wild dog who will remain afraid of humans, and a human as a clothes-wearing biped who is not afraid of coyotes. Coyotes, all right. So here's my coyote story. So my folks live off the beaten path a bit uh, near Malibu Canyon. And we see all kinds of wildlife from time to time and, and usually see coyotes alone, um, not in packs or anything, one-offs. But a few weeks back, we experienced something for the first time in 20 plus years of living there. So we're eating dinner outside, the sun is set, it's dark out and all of a sudden we hear this loud coyote howling and it starts off in one direction very quickly it escalated uh, to multiple coyotes the howling was essentially surrounding us from side to side to side uh, it was really scary and now they weren't on our property but you could tell they were close you could tell there were many you could tell they were loud it was uh, it was quite the experience yeah it was a unique one with coyotes Let me turn the music uh, down, right? Maybe it sounds pretty good in the back. You can edit it out, and maybe, maybe, I don't know. I can turn it down a little bit. So how people come to see coyotes, but also how coyotes come to see people, matters, both for coyotes and for people. 
There is mutual intrigue and co-constitution in these contact zones between species, these interpretive worlds we make up with others, of possible dangers and of easy meals. One might ask, following canine companion and scholar Donna Haraway, who are you, and so who are we? Here we are, and so what are we to become? If you go looking for coyotes in Los Angeles, you'll likely find a lot of things that are not coyotes first. Or you might find someone giving haircuts outside the VA. Somebody who goes by the name of Dreamer. Look at it this way. I'm going to make a complete outrageous comment. And then you're going to want me to explain it. I don't consider people human beings at all. They are just reactionary functions. The idea that you have a position to be able to see something uh, and interpret it from that point of view, which is totally not necessarily true. It's just one point of view. So if you look at a coyote, he's his lot on this earth is a coyote. But if you observe him for a while, he is always on vigil, mm -hmm. making sure that nobody's going to trap him mm -hmm. or hunting or stalking, which is an awareness of survival. And if you get real close to a coyote, he looks at you like this, and you realize that you're uh, being analyzed. To become more aware through the gaze of the coyote is a curious kind of analysis, a discovery of ourselves through the taking of another's perspective who is not us. These wild dogs who are living in the city are incredibly discerning witnesses of our habits and behaviors, our reactions and our desires. And even though coyotes and humans are separate creatures, distinct species refined over evolutionary history, together, by looking at one another and responding, something more than each of us might just be emerging. This episode of the Labyrinth Podcast was produced by Chase Niesner. Audio engineer, Adam Wand. Research by the Labyrinth team, including Jessica Lynch, Chase Niesner, Soledad Altrudi, Aditi Halba, Spencer Robbins, Bradley Cardozo, Sarah Zemer, Niaz Sassoonian, and Emma Horton. Art and design by Amisha Gadani. Special thanks to all the people who helped with this research who remain anonymous here, and also to the Laboratory for Environmental Narrative Strategies for collaborating on this podcast series. The Labyrinth Project was funded by the UCLA Sustainable LA Grand Challenge Program and the UCLA Institute for Society and Genetics. Additional audio notes, background information, and credits can be found on our website, labyrinth.garden. Hey there. This is your friendly Labyrinth expert. Just so you know, 
there's another passageway that leads away from here to another story that is strangely similar. What would you say if you thought you saw a coyote? On the street or in the cloud? It's in the best interest of if you click on a next door coyote post, you can be pretty sure what you're going to get. A debate. Matucci and his hashtag evict coyotes movement are about control, denying all other human and non-human claims to that space. But just a few persistent coyotes, a few digital ghosts, a few vocal neighbors can write a script for a whole city to follow. If you want to follow that passageway, it's the episode called Coyotes in the Cloud. Did you bring thread? Does this maze have a monster? Find out. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs>